Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm Nina. And you're listening to Slice Slice of Murder. Murder. to last time we talked about like his early life and then his upbringing his college career and kind of the crimes that he was involved in when he was a young man um and then we ended on the murder of mary pratt so today i'll speak a little bit more about that talk about the other two victims he's accused of murdering and then get into his trial sounds good yeah i was gonna say i I need a little bit of a refresher just to remind us where we left off because it feels like it's been more than a week even though it's only been it's because this last week was like ages like this last week felt like a million things happened in one week i feel like i know and we've just been busy because it was all like halloween last week that was only one week ago (laughs) that does feel like i'm telling you yeah (laughs) also today is the longest day of the year because we got an extra hour yeah, I woke up at like 6 in the morning, and I was like surprised when I was done with my errands at like 10. I was like, well, I've been up for four hours, so <laughs> I yeah. hope I accomplished something. We're probably going to be tired by 7 p.m. I know. Yeah. That's fine. It's okay. Hopefully, I won't wake up as tired now when I yeah. wake up at 6.30 or so. Yeah. I don't I mean, know. We'll get used to it in about a day, probably, but. <laughs> All right, so what comes first? Our treat of the week or oh yeah talk about our treat okay so this is my second attempt at making these cookies that i wanted to make i wanted to make chocolate butterscotch cookies but the first time i tried to make them they turned out horribly like i made them from scratch and they turned out really bad so this time i didn't make them from scratch i just got like the already made dough and then i put butterscotch (laughs) chips in them yeah, well, let me just say these are really good. Definitely a 10 out of 10. Wow. And I can't lie, I did have one earlier today. Because <laughs> you left them out on the counter. So well, I wanted you to have them. I'm yeah, not bringing them really anywhere good. now. Oh, yeah. So. More for us. Exactly. Um, now, highs and lows of our week are Rose and Thorn. My rose was that we went bowling. I went bowling with all of my coworkers on Friday, and that was really fun. But my low was that I was really bad at bowling. Like, I kept on rolling it into the gutters, like, every single time. Did you time. have the borders up? No. Oh. So it kept on going into the bumpers. Like, I literally had, that like, a score me. of, like, 21 at the end. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's embarrassing. But at least you got to hang out with your coworkers. I feel like that's always fun to do. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, well, my rose for this week... Oh, no, I start with my thorn. My thorn is that, um, as a lot of you may know, Taylor Swift announced her tour, and I've just been stressed and anxious that we're not going to get tour tickets, and I just can't stop thinking about it, and I just need it to happen. I know. We're going to have to stress out for, like, another week and a half, though. Yeah, and I keep seeing so many TikToks of, like, tips yeah. and everything. Like, I can't escape it. I know. That's all I think about. Um, but my rose was that yesterday I got to go to the aquarium. 
It's the first, it was the first time I went to this one in Long Beach, and it was so fun. I saw a lot of jellyfish, and then they had, like, a little baby area where it's, like, all the baby fish and octopi and stuff. It was so cute. That's cute. Yeah. All right. Well, um, we're going to go ahead and get into it. I'll, I'll end with, like, a brief recap. So... Basically, last or I'll start with a brief recap. Basically, last time we talked about um, Charles Albright, we talked about how he was accused and convicted of a couple crimes in his early life, but he was never put in jail for them. Like he just got probation for for the vast majority of them. Um, and in December of 1990, a body was found on a street near his residence. Mary Pratt, 33, was a sex worker that worked at the Star Motel in Oak Cliff, which is where he lived. Um, Mary was a popular person amongst the community, well-liked and kind. She was found badly beaten and shot and left on the street of South Dallas. She was taken in for an autopsy, and that's when they discovered something strange. She was missing both of her eyes. So that's where we ended on last time. Yes, now I remember it all. So I'm going to go back, and I'm going to talk a little bit more details about, like, where they found her, how they found her. And then, like, the people working on the case, and then we'll get into, like, the other two victims. All right. All right. So Mary Pratt was 33 when she was killed, um, and she often worked at the Star Motel in Oak Cliff. She was unfortunately addicted to drugs, and she would often spend all of the money she earned on them. Um, And she actually still lived with her parents, who had no idea about her sex work. So um, she would just, she would go out and, like, do her thing and then just go back and live with her parents, uh, which is pretty sad because I feel like they didn't know like to protect her or anything because they had no idea yeah yeah um and she was found on the street by a resident of the neighborhood who found her in just a t-shirt and her bra her face and chest were badly bruised and she had a gunshot wound from a 44 caliber gun on her temple horrified this neighbor rushed inside his home and brought out a flowered bed sheet to cover the body so this neighbor called the police um and then a police officer on the scene actually like, immediately recognized her like she was really well known within just the community as a whole not just, like, the sex work community. Like, a lot of people knew who she was and knew that she was always, like, really kind. Um, she was always very humble and, like, very soft-spoken. So they immediately recognized her, um, and I think that's kind of why they decided to prioritize her case. Mm-hmm. Like, with a lot of the cases that we hear, they don't really prioritize sex workers who have been murdered, um, which is really sad. really sad. Yeah, because yeah. they kind of see them as just, like, a nameless person. But I think because she was recognized immediately, like, they had a little bit more connection mm. to her and kind of saw her as, like, a real person yeah. instead of just a sex worker. Um, so the Dallas Police Department took over the case, uh, and John Westphalen was, like, the lead homicide detective on the case. So, like, he's on this for the entire time, so you'll hear his name a lot. And he determined, I don't know how, but he determined that this is like a dumped body case. So he said that she had obviously obviously been killed in one location and dumped somewhere else. Um, so he found out that she like wasn't killed like right in the direct area. He couldn't find any evidence that suggested he, she had been killed like on that street. But he knew that she had been killed somewhere around that, that area and then brought there. There were no witnesses to her being killed or her being her body being placed at the location. They couldn't find any murder weapon. There was very little forensic evidence. There was absolutely no fingerprints and there was no apparent motive. Like it didn't seem like 
she was i mean she she was beaten like in her face and her chest mm-hmm. but she was killed with a gunshot wound so usually when you see it like a personal attack it's more of like a stabbing or a strangling yeah. that these people are murdered with but he really couldn't find like an, a motive for it like it didn't seem like she was killed out of anger it didn't seem like she you know it just seemed like mm-hmm. she was murdered and just like left there so they didn't really know like what direction to go in um and there was also the fact like this that this was a sex worker being murdered near a place where sex workers work so like the surveillance in that area was like slim to none like there was almost no yeah there was almost no surveillance in that area um just because of the people that worked there so west phelan um and his homicide detective Detective partner uh, drove to the Dallas County Medical Examiner's office to watch the autopsy of Mary Pratt. Um, and an autopsy pathologist named Dr. Elizabeth Peacock was doing the autopsy. Everybody working the case like knew that a gunshot wound to the head would be the cause of death because they could see that that was mm-hmm. the cause of death. But they hoped that an autopsy would tell them more information about like what might have happened to her, um, if there was any other injuries that she had suffered. And in the autopsy that they discovered that both of her eyes were missing. So Mary Pratt's eyes had been cut out and removed so carefully that, like, her eyelids were not cut up at all. Wow. So, like, they couldn't tell when her eyes were closed or when her eyelids were, were closed. Like, it didn't look like anything had happened. Mm-hmm. And then there, there was no cuts around her eyes and there was no cuts on her eyelids itself. So no one noticed until the autopsy? Yeah. Wow. Because they didn't, like, open her eyes, yeah. like, at the scene of the crime. So, like, that's how carefully... Yeah, it sounds like the person who did this definitely knew what they were doing or, like, have experience with this. Yeah. If it's so difficult for police to then think Mm -hmm. of a suspect Mm -hmm. or find anything. Yeah. Um, and that's what they kind of said. They're like, oh, it looks like this guy's done this before. Like, it's almost like a a, a medical quality to it. Like, that's how careful it was. Like, it's like a surgery. Like, it almost looks like she went for surgery and had them, like, surgically removed. But the medical examiner um, was like, well, this isn't an operation taught in medical, medical school. Like, there'd be no yeah. reason to remove uh, people's yeah. eyes. Um, so this is not, like, something that's usually taught in medical school. But, like, it just looked like, like that's how carefully it was done. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was like she had a surgery. Um, so during that autopsy, they determined that the killer had to know exactly how to cut ar- around the eyes. So there are, like, six major muscles that hold each of your eyes in place like that allow them to move, like, up and down and to the right and the left mm-hmm. um, and, like, look around. So, and then there's the nerve that goes behind your eyes that connects it to the brain, like, the optical nerve. That's how you see things. So they had, so they, they determined that, like, the killer had to know that those six muscles were there and exactly where they were and exactly where, like, the optical nerve was because each of those things were perfectly cut. Um... Like, they weren't, like, hacked away. Or, like, they weren't, like, rough around the edges or anything. They were, like, mm-hmm. a clean cut. I'm just thinking, where did he practice all this? Um, so, they think this is, like, where his taxidermy knowledge comes oh, in. Because yeah, at animals. the very beginning, you know, we talked about how he was practicing his, like, taxidermy when he mm-hmm. was young. And that's part of it. Like, you have to take out the eyes of like an animal so but obviously they didn't know him at this point like they didn't really know who who he was, he was and yeah. had no connection to him at this at this point in time so they had no idea that like he had that background so they were not even looking at him okay that makes sense yeah um so 
this kind of gave police like a direction to go in, although it didn't really narrow it down to like a list of possible suspects or anything like that. But they knew that they were looking for somebody who had the ability to like surgically remove eyes cleanly. Um, so like they had to have had practice doing it. Like mm. they either have had to done it before or they had to be a surgeon or something like that. Um, so it gave them kind of a direction to go in, but they were still really struggling on figuring out like where to start. So West Phelan decided to contact the FBI's Violent Crimes Apprehension Program Unit. And I actually like did had no idea that this was like a thing before. So I just started I was like went down a rabbit hole like looking mm-hmm. at what this was. So this unit it like keeps track of and like keeps data on um crimes that are like super unusual or like super you know strange yeah. like very violent or very violent in like a weird way so it just keeps track of all the things that happen like all the crimes that have been recorded where things like this may have happened before so it was actually a really smart idea to go to these people because if they had anywhere in the nation found a body that had had the eyes removed like they would have had record of this mm. in their system somewhere yeah to see if this like occurred before uh-huh. i wonder what their like characteristics i know that they look for where do they say the like this is, is weird yeah yeah i know um but the fbi agent who was like in charge of this was like oh well we found no there's been no record of that anywhere before so this was the first time that they had ever heard of something like this like ever wow. like there is no record anywhere in that database of such like a surgically precise cutting so mm-hmm. there may have been records of eyes being mutilated before and there may have been something like that in their database before but this is the first time that they had ever seen such like a surgically precise mm, like really clean mm-hmm. wow. so the police that didn't that didn't really give them any leads they didn't have any places to go on they didn't have any names to go off of um so they would just have to keep searching um and because the police had not released any information about mary pratt's missing eyes her death had only been published as a two-paragraph story, like, in the back sections of the local newspaper, which is really sad. Yeah. Like, they didn't think that she was important enough to, like, I don't know. Like, that's a, I mean, that's, like, a it's pretty a big deal. It's a yeah. murder. But because of her job, like. They didn't want to no, say. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is in Texas. Yeah. So. And then they just didn't Maybe. think that it was important enough to, like. They didn't think she was important enough to, yeah. like, publicize, which is really sad. It is. Um, and, in fact, just, like, a few hours later, um, there are two patrol officers, John Matthews and Regina Smith, and these are, like, the patrol officers that work the entire case, and they're actually the ones that, like, figure out that it's him. But just a few hours later, like, on December 13th, when they started their shift, they hadn't even heard about the crime. So, like... These police officers in the same department, like, hadn't even heard about it. That's how much they were kind of downplaying the whole mm. thing. Yeah. Like, how little they told everyone. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I'm even surprised that they're, like, still moving forward with the case. Mm-hmm. Even though it doesn't have a lot of public attention. Mm-hmm. Like, they're still trying to find who did this to her. Yeah, and especially in the 90s, I feel like this is really unexpected that they would spend so much time and attention looking for people who murdered, looking for the person that murdered a sex worker because we saw that, like, that almost never happened. Like, that's unfortunately why that there are a lot of 
people's victims that mm-hmm. look to like torture yeah. or because they know like inflict like, violence mm-hmm. so these two officers were patrolling the area when they came across a sex worker named veronica rodriguez veronica flagged them down um and told them that she had almost been killed the night before so rodriguez told the officers that the previous night she had been picked up by a man driven a long way to a field and been raped the man had tried to kill her, but she said she escaped and ran towards a house. She said that she knew the man that was living there, and she said that the man also knew the person who had just attacked her. Um, but the cops didn't believe her and kind of just, like, left her on her own, which is, like, this like, is where why we... Yeah, would she make that up? This is where we see kind of the bias against sex workers playing, because we, would, we are going to understand that if they had just listened to her on this time right here like he probably would have been caught like Mm. right now but they didn't listen to her they said oh you know she's probably like high on drugs and she probably doesn't know what she's talking about like she probably makes up stories so we don't you know we don't believe you um and two days later they actually saw her again talking to a man in in an 18 wheeler they approached her to arrest her for prostitution because this was illegal Mm -hmm. and they asked the man about himself and how he knew her uh, Veronica Rodriguez claimed that this was the man that had saved her the n- night earlier and begged them not to arrest him. Like, she was like, oh, like, we're not, not doing, him. yeah, we're not doing anything. Like, this isn't the guy. Like, you please don't arrest him because, oh. like, he saved my life. Like, just, yeah. like, let him go. Um, so this man's name was Ax- Axton Schindler, and he lived at 1035 El Dorado. This address was not out in South Dallas where Rodriguez's attack allegedly took place, It was in an Oak Cliff neighborhood, just a five-minute drive from the Star, which is where Mary Pratt was murdered. Okay. So Schindler claimed not to have any idea of what Rodriguez is talking about. He was like, oh, I don't remember that happening. Like, I definitely didn't, like, bring her in from running away, like, from a a guy. Like, we see each other quite often. Like, we know each other, but I don't remember that happening. So he's like, I don't have any idea what she's talking about. Oh, so that just discredits her more. Yeah. Um, so the officers again, once again, thought she was lying and they arrested her for prostitution. Um, so again, like, like I said, if they had just like listened to her this time and kind of investigated just a little bit more into her claims, Mm -hmm. investigated a little bit more into this guy, then we would find out that they would solve this murder in like probably a day. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so... In February 1991, two months after Mary Pratt was found murdered, the police still had no idea what direction to go in, and they had no idea who this, the murderer could be. Um, but in February, a second victim was found. Her name was Susan Peterson, and she was 27 years old. Susan was found on the exact same road that Mary Pratt had been on, but her body was actually discovered on the other end of the road. Like, Mary Pratt was discovered on one side of the mm-hmm. street, like, all the way up. And then Susan Peterson was at the very end. So her body was outside of, like, the technical city limits. And so the jurisdiction for the case fell to the Dallas County Sheriff's Department. So mm-hmm. not to the city of Dallas, but to, like, the county, like, surrounding it. Wow, that's crazy that, yeah. like, that makes a big difference yeah. in the case of who, like, takes care of it and stuff. So um, because it was found on the other side of the street and because it was found by a different, like, it was under a different person's jurisdiction it made it really tough to like share information about the two Mm. and the dallas county sheriff's department had like no idea that just a few like feet yeah away i wonder if he knew that and did it on purpose 
Maybe, maybe. To, like, kind of hide yeah. evidence or confuse people a little mm-hmm. bit more. Yeah, maybe. Um, but like Mary, she was found mostly naked. And when police discovered her, they found, found that she had been shot in the head, chest, and stomach. Um, so again, this is like a member of the community. A lot of people knew Susan and members of the police force who knew her said that she was incredibly smart and she always had her wits about her. She was one to fight back and she always carried a razor for protection. So they determined that she would have never let her guard down around someone that she didn't trust. Um, so they knew that whoever had killed her must have been one of her regular customers, like Mm -hmm. somebody that she felt comfortable with because... They said that she would never, like, get in a van with somebody that she didn't know, and she would always only, like, meet them in a hotel if they were, like, the first-time customers. Mm. So, because she wasn't found in a hotel, and she was, like, found just, like, in some random area that she didn't really have any association with, they were like, okay, well, this must be somebody that she trusts. So now, they also knew that the person they were looking for probably frequented sex workers regularly. Yeah, so they should be looking at like their customers right and seeing like who and knows both of these yeah. women and that would be like a logical thing to do yeah. is to like go around and ask members like of the community like mm-hmm. who do sex work like oh who are regular customers like who are people that you see a lot who are people that maybe mary and susan met up with a lot because they all know each other and i feel like they all kind of look out for each other as well like i'm sure that if they had asked around like somebody would have told them something mm-hmm. that could have helped them out. Yeah. But they didn't? No. <laughs> um, because also, like, sex work is criminalized. Um, you know, I'm sure that... Yeah, so people d- probably didn't want to speak up Right, exactly. About it. Exactly. So, but they didn't ask. So, um, again, they kind of were at a dead end. They still didn't find any evidence. They still didn't find any fingerprints. They still didn't find a weapon. Um, so they were just going to go on and kind of look for any clues that they could find. Mm. So a detective named Larry Oliver, who had not heard about the Pratt killing because he was in a separate jurisdiction, was called to the scene and he became the lead detective for the Susan Peterson case. They took Susan's body to undergo an autopsy and the technician found that just like Pratt's, both of Susan's eyes had been removed with surgical precision. So it was the same thing, like very clean cuts. Um... You know, every single muscle was, like, severed, like, perfectly. Mm -hmm. And, like, the optical nerve in the back of the eye, which is, like, pretty thick. Like, it's a pretty big nerve. It's not, like, a tiny one. Like, it's pretty thick. Was severed, like, very cleanly. So this definitely confirms that it was the same person. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm just thinking, like, how did he, like, leave the bodies out there? It's, like, nobody looking. Yeah. Was it at night? Well, Most likely. yeah, because remember in the first part, we talked about how he had a job as a paper boy and his oh, job night, yeah, yes. was like between three in the morning and six in the morning. Mm-hmm. So this is when they kind of think that he did these yeah, because that would make sense. nobody's up during those hours. Like, I mean, I feel like you can find people who are up even until like one or two in the morning. Mm-hmm. But then I feel like, yeah, that's just like such an awkward time. Yeah. And I feel like he would know if. This is his job, and he knows, like, the patterns. Mm-hmm. Like, what's, like, the most, like, the quietest time yeah. when I can do this. Yeah, like, he was definitely a really smart person. Like, just yeah. very calculating. He knew how to, like, get things done. Mm-hmm. So, he definitely, like, used that to his advantage. Yeah, and we know that about him from mm-hmm. 
early on, right? Yeah. Um, so the pathologist mentioned, the autopsy pathologist mentioned, that the Dallas Police Department had a similar case just two months earlier. So th- this is the person that kind of, like, linked those two things together. Because, oh, like I said, like, the police departments, like, had no idea that, like, these uh-huh. things had even happened. Like, they had no idea that this was even, like, a major thing going on in the yeah. unit. So you would think that they communicate just because they're so close that it's yeah. like it might have happened over yeah. there. But they didn't even ask. Wow. So it was the pathologist that told them. Um, so Larry Oliver traveled to the police department's homicide offices to see John Westphalen. And at this point, they kind of decided to keep the story close to the chest. Like before, it was really it was only like published as a two paragraph story because they just didn't really see it fit, like, the news outlets didn't really just see it fit to, like, give it any coverage, mm-hmm. but now the police were kind of, um... It's more strategic. Yeah, it was a, it was a more strategic kind of yeah. decision. So they don't want people to know the details that they right, have? Right, right. Okay. So they wanted to keep the story close to the chest because they said if the press discovered that the killings were linked, and they kind of, like, turn the spotlight on that that specific area um the person the killer might get like nervous and scared and start picking up women in a different place so they kind of wanted him to just keep on going like in the same place if he was going to kill again like they didn't want him to move locations um that's scary though that they're just waiting for him to do it again i know like i understand like their reasoning but also it's like this is just shows how clearly they didn't value the lives of anybody that mm-hmm. could have possibly been a victim. Because yeah, they know that he's targeting sex workers. Right. Like, if he had been targeting anybody else, like, you know they would have warned the community. Yeah, uh, And been like, oh, well, like, you know, just, like, watch out because in this specific mm-hmm. part, like, there's been somebody targeting, like, young women or something. But just because he was targeting sex workers, they're like, oh, no, we're just going to, like, wait till he yeah, goes again and try and, and try and do it again. Yeah, and you'd think that they would maybe, like, surveillance the area or, like, be more cautious if they know that he's, like, putting women there after he kills yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so some of the homicide, like, supervisors, like, also had that same idea, and they decided that the public had a right to know to keep themselves safe around this area, and so, like, they decided to put up flyers around this area, oh, which was good. Um, but as flyers were posted around the area warning sex workers to stay off the streets, detectives met with the press to discuss, to discuss the two killings. No information was, like, officially released about the missing eyes, but somehow, like, with the amount of people that were working on the case mm-hmm. in two different police jurisdictions and like, across two different units, word was quickly leaked to the reporters that, like, something had been happening to the women's faces mm-hmm. after they had been killed. Yeah. So they didn't know exactly what, and they don't. They didn't have like the full details of what it was, but they just knew something. It did get out. Yes. The face. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's so rare. Mm-hmm. Like people just want to tell. Right. And it was a coworker, like, yeah. like a family member, probably. Mm-hmm. And it was like a. It was across like two different units, so yeah, there was like a lot true. of places that it could have been leaked. Mm-hmm. So, in turn, this sparked a media frenzy, um, which is, like, exactly what the police didn't want to happen. So, like, news outlets got all over this. They were, like, releasing things in the papers, left and right. Um, And so, John Westphalen was, like, desperately trying to solve the case before another sex worker was harmed. 
Um, and he created special undercover units to run computer checks on the license plate of vehicles that like cruised by this area mm-hmm. or went to the Star Motel just to see if the owners might have any like unusual criminal records, but nothing was found. Aww. So it seemed like he was doing like the right thing, like he was trying to at least um, by like releasing the flyers and kind of putting up more surveillance. Mm-hmm. But again, I'm like, I feel like if you just went and talked to the members of the community yeah. that this was affecting, they could help you. They would have information about <laughs> this. Like, I'm not sure why you're not trying to mm-hmm. ask them for help. Like, I don't know. And I guess because when that woman did try to speak up, they didn't listen to her anyway. Yeah, exactly. Like, they just totally ignored what she had to say. Like, you, you have no idea what is going on anyway like yeah why not investigate this if you don't have another lead like Like, you're just like fucking around for (laughs) it's been like two months at this point like you have nothing better to do like yeah you're literally waiting until his next attack yeah so um but yeah nothing was found so detectives were like literally coming up with the craziest theories like just to see if they had clues for themselves they're like maybe he removes the eyes because he believes in like there's like, there's an old, I guess, like, this was kind of thought to be true, like, really early on, like, in, like, the 1600s, 1700s, mm-hmm. like, the person who killed you, like, if you die, like, your, the, the vision of the person that killed you would be, like, imprinted on your eyes. So they thought that, like, if they found somebody who was murdered, um, they could find out who killed them just by, like, looking oh, at their eyes. So they're like, oh, maybe he still believes that. Like, that's why he takes mm-hmm. them, because, like, he still believes this. Like, they're just, like, coming up with the craziest things. Yeah. Like, motives for it, backgrounds for it, all this stuff. Like, put that energy into actually finding yeah. the person. Exactly. Then you can ask them why. Yeah. <laughs> but the only thing that they knew for sure is that the killer came out late at night, because nobody ever saw him. Mm-hmm. Um, he was strong enough to drag the women in and out of a car because they knew that he didn't kill them there. He, like, probably killed them somewhere else mm-hmm. and then brought them to that area. And he had surgical skills or, like, a medical background. So that's all they knew. Um, in March of 1991, so this is about a month later, Shirley Williams' body was found on a street in a residential neighborhood in Oak Cliff. So, Shirley Williams was not found on the same street as Susan or Mary, and she was a black woman, unlike Susan or Mary, who was Mm -hmm. white. So, immediately, like, they kind of noticed those deviations from Susan and Mary's deaths, Um, but they did know the murder was connected, and as soon as her body was found, they asked the medical examiner to check her eyes, and like the other two women, both of her Mm -hmm. eyes were missing. Yeah, so So, that definitely confirms. Yeah. So this is how they knew that. Yeah, it was the same person. It was the again. same person, yeah. or it, like the cases were connected. However, this one to seemed to be like a little bit more hurried. It seemed to be more rushed, which kind of suggested that either he had almost been caught, like mm-hmm. by somebody, or he was. He's getting like sloppy with right. His work. He was losing. He's getting too confident. Yes, um, because they found that this her. Um, face lacked the precision that was present on the other two women so on her face there was like a bunch of cuts right by her eyes and they actually found the broken tip of an exacto knife like in the skin by her right eye 
So they found that this one was like, it was connected to the others, but they definitely could notice differences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So detectives were worried that due to the press frenzy, the killer had changed their tactics and they wouldn't be able to catch them. Because usually we see people who are serial killers or who do kill a lot, like always kill in the same place or always kill Mm. the same type of person. Um, But they were worried that like, since he noticed he had almost been caught, he was going to switch it up and keep switching it up. So, like, they wouldn't be able to figure it out. Yeah. But he didn't. Yeah. He, I mean, he tried to because, like, she wasn't found in the same area. Like, But it, I missed it. Is she also a sex worker? You said? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, like, she wasn't found in the same area. And. So he did switch it up a little bit. Yeah. But not a crazy amount. Like, yeah. it was still in the same they they were all found yeah. in like the Oak Cliff, like the mm-hmm. suburban community of Oak Cliff. They were just found in like different parts. Yeah. Um. So three days after the discovery of Shirley, two detectives were making rounds on the area, just like driving around in their car, and they found a sex worker named Brenda White. They asked her if she had heard about the killer and asked if she was keeping herself safe, because at this point they were trying to go around and like warn everybody, oh, we just found another victim, like. Please get off the streets. Yeah, that's like, good yeah, doing this. like we're not gonna arrest you, but like just like go home. Go, yeah, keep yourself safe. Like do whatever you can do. You know, kind of trying to like connect them with other um, like opportunities in the area. Even like oh, asking them like you know you can make more money doing like working at Burger King than you can doing sex work. So they asked Brenda if you know if she was keeping herself safe, and she said that. She wasn't going to do so before, but now she was because she had actually just been attacked last night. So she's like, yeah, I'm getting out of here, like, because I was just attacked last night, so... Oh, they should definitely be looking into that. Yeah. So she described an encounter with a husky-looking white man with um, gray and white hair, cowboy boots, and blue jeans. She said that she turned his offer down to go somewhere other than the motel, and he had gotten angry. She said that he had tried to grab her, but she maced him and she got out of his car and ran away. Oh, good. Yeah. So this story reminded detectives of Veronica Rodriguez's story, which... Oh, the one that they did not believe. (laughs) Yeah, which they had thrown away as a lie. So this had... She had told them this, like, two months earlier, but without any other leads, like, they literally had nothing else to go on, they decided to research more into her claims. So, like, at this point, they finally... Yeah. Went back and kind of talked to her and looked into the people that she had mentioned and the places that she had mentioned. So they decided to look into the man that she was with first. Um, Remember, this was Axton Schindler. And she, Veronica claimed that Axton had saved her from the person that was trying to attack her. And this is the person that she was talking to, like, in the 18-wheeler. Oh, yeah, that's right. So previously, all they had found on Axton Schindler is that he had like a few unpaid parking tickets. Like they ran a report on them when they found them together in the truck. Mm-hmm. Um, and they found that like all he had was like just some unpaid parking tickets. Like mm-hmm. they found no other criminal record on him, nothing else. But they wanted to make sure that like they weren't missing anything. Um, so they decided to go down to the Dallas County Constable's office and kind of look him up, look more into where he lived, mm-hmm. looked more into, like, his past, where he's been living. Um, he was a truck driver, so they were like, well, maybe something is not going to come up in this state, but maybe something's going to come up in other states. Like, we've heard cases before where 
they are truck drivers and we do see them murder people in like a couple different states so they were kind of just trying to see his background and like Mm. figure out what he was all about yeah so they typed in his address to the computer which was 1035 el dorado but instead of axton schindler coming up as the owner of the house the name fred albright came up on the screen so if you remember this is charles's father oh this or the just the owner of the the owner of the house So it turned out that a few years earlier, after Fred had passed away, Charles had been renting out various properties that he owned to different tenants. Mm. So he and his family owned like a couple different properties, and when his father passed away, they all were passed on to Charles, but he never got around with changing the name, like they were still legally under his father's name. So one of those tenants he had found was Axton Schindler. Um... Schindler lived in one of Charles's properties in South Dallas, but he claimed he was just, like, super private. Like, he didn't want the, you know, he's, like, one of those, like, oh, I don't want the government tracking me kind of people. (laughs) So he's, like, I'm not going to write down my real address on my ID card. Can I just put, like, your main address? Because, like, I'm renting from you. I'm just going to put down your main address on my ID card. So instead of his own address, he put down Charles's address, which was 1035 El Dorado. So the detectives were like super confused because they did a search on all of Fred Albright's properties and they found that, you know, he did own properties in South Dallas as well. And in fact, he owned a property right by the Star Motel, which is where Susan and Mary had been found. But they kind of ran into a dead end, which was that Fred had passed away years ago. So he could not have been the one attacking yeah, the woman. To do yeah, the crimes. Right. Um, but it was actually, like, incredibly lucky. Like, this was really a case. Like, they solved this because of, like, pure luck. The deputy constable on duty, who was, like, not part of either police force, like, this was just, like, somebody they, like, that had a machine that could look up, like, different addresses and different Mm -hmm. records on people. It turned out that he was literally only there because of chance, mentioned that he might have a lead. Like, once he heard this name, Fred Albright, he was, like, I might know something about this. He said that this might have something to do with Charles Albright, Fred's son. He said that several weeks ago, he had been at the office and had answered a call from a woman who refused to identify herself, but she was calling in about information with, about Mary Pratt. So she said that he had, she had been friends with Mary Pratt, and she said that Mary introduced her to a man for, that she dated for just like a very short time. She said that he was very nice, but he had a very odd love for eyes, and that's why she was calling in. And she told him that his name was Charles Albright. It's him. Yeah. So literally, if any other guy had been working that day, like... Yeah, they would have known They would him. never have made that connection. Like, it was, like, literally only the guy mm-hmm. being the one to type in the... His, fa- his father's name, right? Yeah. Like, it was, like... Be- that was like it was like only the guy like working the computer that day like that's the only way that they made the connection and that's why it's important to like tell the community members about yeah. it because they have all this information especially the girl who called in mm-hmm. she could have helped with yeah. the investigation like we like they do we see this in like so many different cases like i feel like people will say oh le- yeah like sex workers stand up for each other like those are like often the only people that will stand up for each other so like you know they have had to have this information like for a while yeah and even like she who called in anonymously Mm -hmm. like Like, they can do that right exactly like they just had to offer up more opportunities for them to share Mm -hmm. because 
like literally if they had gone off of Veronica's story like the first day, this could have yeah. happened the first day and they could have prevented two more murders from happening. Yeah. That's true. So But the detectives immediately looked up Albright's criminal record and they discovered a string of thefts, burglaries, uh, forgeries, and the charge of sexual intercourse with a child, which is like all what we talked about in part one. Mm -hmm. Um, And they found that his mugshot like kind of matched the man Brenda White had described. So like gray hair, um, Husky. husky, like, you know. So they took this information to John Westphalen, who decided to like put together a slideshow of mugshots. And they asked Brenda to identify the man who had attacked her. Um, and the, Brenda was the one that, like, maced the guy. Like, oh, the was, one that got away. Yeah. yeah. I was like, yeah. So they, um, without hesitation, she chose Albright's picture. So she, like, immediately picked him up. She was like, this is the guy that attacked me. Like, mm-hmm. he was the one that I got away from. Um, and they showed the same lineup to Veronica Rodriguez. So... When Veronica got to the third picture, which was Albright's, she started trembling and she suddenly refused to identify anybody. So she was too nervous to, like, say the man who had attacked her. Yeah, and then it coming back to her. Yeah, so they were, like, really stressed because without Veronica's identification as Albright as the man who had raped her and attacked her, police could not charge Albright on anything but a misdemeanor assault charge against Brenda. Mm. So Veronica was, like, really the key piece in this puzzle because she claimed that he had attempted to murder her. Um, But if she wasn't going to identify him, then they couldn't get him on anything but, like, an assault charge. Like, just grabbing Brenda and, you know, something like that. But if Veronica did identify Albright, the Dallas police could file charges for attempted murder which would mean they could get a search warrant against his house and then look for his house for evidence that might connect him to, like, the three other murders. Mm-hmm. So, but without her yeah, claim they that they can't really do anything because they can't warrant. get a search warrant for, like, a misdemeanor. They would yeah. just have to find him or mm-hmm. put him on probation again or something like that. Like, so she was really the key piece here. So they showed Veronica the mugshots again and they pleaded with her to identify the man who had attacked her. And I'm like, now, like, now you're so desperate for her help. Yeah, like, all of a sudden. Like, before, she's probably, like, re- so confused. Like, she probably, I don't know. Like, I mean, we know that they were criminalized. Like, a lot of their work is criminalized. Yeah. So I'm like, I would be terrified to identify somebody, too. Especially if, like, so long ago they told me, like, oh, you're lying, you know. like Yeah, like, probably after she built up the courage to say something right. and speak up. And now they're like, no, that was not true. Yeah. Like, and now be, they're bringing her back. Yeah, like, I'd be pretty scared, too. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but they told her that three girls had been murdered, and, like, the police couldn't get the killer off the street without her help, which I'm like, like, that's what she was trying to tell you before. Like, <laughs> she was trying to help you before. Like, she already told you that she would help you. Like, yeah. now you're coming back to her? But Veronica eventually relented, and then she did pick Charles Albright's photo okay. out of the lineup. So she also identified him as the man who had attacked her previously. Oh, good. Yeah. So at 2.30 a.m. that night, police broke down the door to Albright's house and dragged him to the police station. And then throughout the following interrogation, Albright refused to confess to anything. So he told the police that he had never even heard the names of the murdered sex workers, mm. which... We know, obviously, it's not true because he did frequent sex workers. Like, we talked about in part one how 
a lot of them like even considered them at the beginning like very friendly like he would go to a lot of them he was regular customers of like quite a few of them like he would get them things and everything so it's like to claim that you've never even heard of the names of these people like at all throughout the entire time you've been living there like you know that is such a lie like and I guess he can blame that on not wanting to get in trouble or right like still yeah but still so police did get a search warrant because they did charge him on attempted murder. Um, and so they searched through all of his properties. And he owned a couple. Like, he owned his one. He owned the, the one, one. The, the, the one that he was renting to. I mean, then I think he owned two more. One or two more. Like, he owned, like, quite a few properties. Oh, okay. Um, so they searched his house in Oak Cliff, which was 1035 El Dorado. Um, six different times and the fbi even brought in like a a machine that could like basically see through walls like it could like scan through walls and like see if anything was hidden in the walls and they were looking for things that would connect him to the murders so they were looking for the murder weapons possibly they were looking for um personal items of the people who had been murdered um and then they were looking for like physical evidence so they were really looking for like, like the eyes of yeah of these women because that was like one thing that would like really tie him to those murders yeah and he probably did keep them if he's so right. like obsessed with eyes yeah so that's like kind of what they were thinking yeah. like they were like oh well, they ha- they have to be somewhere because you know mm-hmm. we know he's obsessed with this so yeah they know he's a it's creep. like a, a souvenir yeah but they never found any physical evidence, like, in any of his properties. So, mm. not in his yard, not in his anything that connected him to the murders. Um, behind the fireplace mantle, they did discover a kind of, like, hidden compartment filled with guns, but none of them turned out to be the murder weapon. None but I'm of like, them? I'm like, that's, like, pretty suspicious. Yeah, <laughs> like, he just has, like, a whole hidden correctly. compartment. Like, <laughs> like, are you sure? But apparently none of them wherever determined to be the murder weapon. Yeah. I'm wondering if maybe he had another property. That they didn't know yeah, about. that they didn't mm-hmm. know. I don't know. Yeah. But, like, they never, like, even to this day, like, they never found anything on his properties that what? connected to him to anything. So, likewise, they also couldn't find anybody who would admit to seeing Charles, like, either with the three women the night they were killed or even, like, in that area. So, Dixie, which was Charles's girlfriend at the time um claimed that like on the nights in question charles like didn't leave the house early for his paper out and that he always came home on time so they she mm-hmm. said that like he was always like you know he was always gone only between the hours that he was supposed to be gone between yeah so nothing suspicious on her part right um, and that's crazy that he was like dating this woman or married they were i think they were dating yeah like dating someone. yeah and like she claims that like she he was never violent with her at all like she claims she claims that like he was always like super gentle like he never got in fights with her he never got angry with her he never raised his voice yeah, like nothing like, it reminds me of ted bundy like yeah. that's what his wife or uh-huh. girlfriend said yeah about him that he's so kind and like uh-huh. she cannot imagine him doing right. this and there's a couple other ones, too. Like, I think it was John Wayne Gacy. Like, he had, like, a whole, like, wife and kids and everything. And they were like, oh, he was, like, the best dad. Yeah. Like That, he, like, amazes me. I'm like. Yeah. Like, they They just have, like, put out all their anger towards other people uh-huh. or, like, committing these crimes. Uh-huh. 
yeah, yeah. like they just have like two such clear sides to themselves yeah. um and that's is, like, so really scary. scary i know <laughs> so she claimed that you know he didn't ever leave early and didn't ever come home late um you know i don't know how long it takes to do like a paper route but like i'm thinking maybe he was really good mm-hmm. at it that he had a few hours yeah. to spare like he did everything like really quickly right and also, like, yeah. if he's leaving in three at, at three in the morning, like, how do you know that he didn't leave early? Like, you're not up at three in the morning. That's true. Like, you're not waking up every morning that he wakes up. I mean, yeah, maybe. Yeah, so she can't be sure. Yeah, like, maybe you, like, wake up when he leaves, but you're not, like, up and about, you know? Like, yeah. you probably, like, wake up and say goodbye, but, like, are you checking the time mm-hmm. every time? Probably yeah. not. Like, <laughs> if he had woken up at one in the morning, like, and you said goodbye, like, you would not suspect anything different if you knew he yeah. left at a certain time every single morning and he left early in the morning one morning, like, you probably yeah, you wouldn't have any idea. That so, is true. like, she said, like, she claimed under oath that she had never left early or came home late, but I'm like, you can't be sure about that. Yeah, she should have said, like, under my knowledge. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so... They, like we said, they really had no evidence um, to tie him to the crime scenes at all, which meant that they needed to try to convict Charles based on hair evidence, which was like the first time in the history of the department that they were ever able to do that. So normally um, you convict people based on like, fingerprints or DNA evidence which wasn't really a thing in the 90s but like now it's more like DNA evidence Um, because those are things that can like definitively tie somebody to a certain location but with hair it's like it's not definitive it's like what it looks like so like for example if somebody was found at a crime scene with like red hair um, and the killer had red hair, and there was, like, red hairs found at the crime scene, mm-hmm. they could be like, oh, well, these hairs match the hairs on your hen, but, like, it doesn't definitively prove that they were the ones that yeah. killed them. But I think about that all the time, just because my hair sheds a lot. I'm like, what if it ends up <laughs> like, a crime scene? <laughs> well, I think mean, now they have, like, now they can test your hair. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, them saying oh. if they found it, they're gonna oh. test it and it's gonna come back to me. Oh, that's true. I've, I've been everywhere, movie theaters. You know, I just leave my hair everywhere, <laughs> hair traces everywhere. But yeah, I'm like, what's the likelihood of that happening? Probably slim to none. Yeah, I'll vouch for you though. If you're not, you'll be my alibi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like one of my fears I have. <laughs> Would you like to share some other one? What are your other... Um, getting kidnapped or murdered in the middle of the night. Mine is getting bit by a black widow. And that there's one in our scary. garage. I think there's one in my car. Not in, but... Or maybe in the vents. But, because I always get the same spider web on the outside mirror. And I saw it the other day. It was, like, on the mirror. A black you know, widow? the outside mirror? I just saw a black spider. I don't know if it was a black widow. I didn't confirm. Yeah, I saw one in our garage. That's scary. And it's a big one, which means it's a woman, which means it's going to have babies. It's going to have babies everywhere. I know. We need to, like, spray in there. I know. I keep forgetting to say 
anyway, so that's one of my fears that a black widow is going to bite me and I'm going to die. And it was born out of a story that I read in college. Sorry, this is really off track, but I have to tell this story because it's connected to black widows. Yeah. I read this story in college. Like I was in like an environmental literacy class and I read this story to college and this is right after I decided to move to Los Angeles. And it was about this woman that moved to Los Angeles and she sat on the <laughs> toilet and a black widow bit her butt cheek and her butt cheek fell off. <laughs> you told me this story. <laughs> And it was just like picturing someone's butt cheek falling off Not immediately. immediately. <laughs> yeah, I got that after. <laughs> like, her butt cheek died and yeah, like cut off. Yeah. That's, that's so terrifying. That, so that is my, that's my fear. Yeah, like imagine just driving and it bites you. That's what I'm leg. worried about. Like, and I wouldn't even know. Like, what if yeah. I don't even know, you, you know? No. <laughs> and like, what if I don't see it? What if I don't know if it's a black widow? Yeah. I honestly, I don't think I would know. But apparently I looked it up and Black Widows like haven't killed anybody since like 1990 something. Well, then it's about time that <laughs> I'm going to be the first back. one. <laughs> I'm going to be the first one. Like people have gotten bitten, but they haven't Not died. Bad. Oh, okay. Like they're like, a, they're like, you can go and get medical treatment for it now. Well, that's good. Yeah. And even See, if you don't, yeah. And even if you don't, apparently it's like not usually enough to kill you okay. like even if you don't get medical treatment like you'll just get really sick but like mm, they're not as deadly no. anymore that's good that's good yeah to know. so i guess it's not really a rational fear but your hair thing yeah. isn't either so <laughs> those are our, our irrational fears and actually yeah. melissa and i were talking about those just like yesterday oh, really we were talking about all of our irrational fears <laughs> and they're pretty similar so i feel like a lot of us have the same, the same things yeah yeah Maybe not the hair one. No, I feel like I feel like that's pretty scary. Like, what if? Yeah. Anyway, you never know. So they're trying to get him on his hair um, at the crime scene because they had found like hairs at the crime scene, and so they were trying to like see if any of these things matched. But this was not going to be like super specific, so this was like a very risky kind of business thing to do because, um, you know, it's not definitive. Like, you could say, well, there's also a million other people with like gray hair that also live in this area like those people also could have been the people that were at the scenes of the murder yeah so you're they're just testing it by looking at it that's like how they had to do it because like they didn't have any what? sort of like dna evidence back in in this time like dna evidence is actually relatively like super new like i, I feel like i didn't realize that but like 2000s yeah like very recent um, like definitely not. In, this is in 1991. Definitely not in 1991. Yeah. Um, so they just had to do it just by like sight, and I guess like you know your hair texture has also something to do with it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I maybe they can test like, I don't know. Yeah, maybe they know what to look right. for. Right, I'm sure they do. Whereas if we're just looking at two and it was like and it was like uh, under a microscope too, so it was like yeah. specific. But still, like, I I feel like it's a very. It was not. The most clear cut of, mm-hmm. I don't know, yeah. investigations they do that they're trying to do. What they gotta do. Yeah, that they didn't have anything else. So they tried to convict him based on hair evidence, which is, like I said, this is the first time in their history of the department that they were ever trying to do this. So it was like, obviously, they don't really know the best way to do this either, but they mm-hmm. were just trying. So days after the Albright, uh, days after Charles's arrest, the city's forensic lab reported that hairs um, found on the bodies of Mary, Shirley, and Susan were similar to hair s- samples from Charles. So again, it's similar, but they can't say 
Like this guy did. Yeah, yeah. It, it is his hair. Um, but they did report, you know, we found this hair that is, that looks like his hair, and it was found on all three of these bodies. So. That's even more compelling. If right. It's on, on everybody's. On all the bodies, mm-hmm. yeah. Lab technicians said that f- hairs found on the blankets in the back of Albright's pickup truck were also similar to hair samples from Mary Pratt and mm. Susan Peterson. So not only did they find hairs on them that matched the hairs on his head, but they found hairs in his truck that matched hairs on their head. So now they have like a two-way linkage, which made it a little bit easier, but still not perfect because, like we said, like he frequented sex workers a lot. Like chances are there's going to be somebody with brown hair that he had slept with and maybe got in his truck and didn't, was not murdered. Like there's going to be other people that, you know, were in his truck that they could, the defense could claim Mm. this is the person that was in there. Like, but he already lied about not knowing, knowing any of the sex workers. So this can just be further evidence that he's a liar. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's not trustworthy. Yeah. Um, and hairs found in Albright's vacuum cleaner match the hair from Shirley Williams. Mm. Um, so a sex worker named Tina Connolly also claimed that she saw Charles on the night that Shirley had gone missing. So again, this is where I'm like, if you had just talked to these people, the sex workers are the one that's giving you all the information. Like, literally, none of you have figured any of this out by yourself. Like, except <laughs> for, like, the guy that, like, was just there by chance. Like, he was the only she one that, only like, figured, contributed anything. Like, none of you figured out anything by yourself. Like, you figured out, like, the hair thing, but you only figured out that that was him because of information that, like, these people in this community gave you. Like, literally, you're asking around and people are giving you so much information. Like, could you not have done this before? Yeah. Like, I appreciate that you're going around and doing it, and they did solve it, like, within three months. So, that's after they started cool. doing what they were supposed to be right, doing exactly like literally they went and talked to veronica rodriguez and three days later the whole thing was solved wow like it, imagine if you'd done this from the beginning. yeah like come on anyway um a sex worker told them that the night shirley was gone missing um the night shirley had gone missing i saw charles with shirley um and she took detectives to a field where they used to meet. So she said that, she, like, she and Charles used to meet quite often as well. Like, she was a regular customer of Charles's, and she said that he would always take me to this field. So she was like, oh, well, maybe he took other women there as well because, like, he would always take me to this, like, very specific place. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this field, they found a yellow raincoat and a blanket. A yellow, the yellow raincoat matched a description of what Shirley was allegedly wearing on the night that she was killed. And hairs on the coat and on the blanket matched Albright's hair. So they found, again, they're finding, like, this hair evidence that he had been in this field and he had seen Shirley the night that she had mm-hmm. left. Um, during his trial, so they took it to trial, um, they brought him to trial on the murders of all three women. Um, and during the trial, Charles... Sp- basically seemed to be about to get away with everything again. Like, it really was not going well for the prosecution at first because all they had to go off of was basically, like, circumstantial evidence and, um, like, this hair evidence, which really was not strong at all. Um, And Veronica Rodriguez on the stand actually retracted her whole statement and said that she had never met Charles. 
No. And they don't really know why she kind of switched, but, like... I mean, she was probably scared. Yeah, like, I imagine she was probably traumatized from the thing that had happened to her and kind of thought, like, oh, well, if he gets away, he might come after me again yeah. for, like, working for, for the prosecution, uh, which is, like, a totally understandable mm. fear, you know? Like, if all they have is hair evidence, like, I understand that she might have been, like, oh, well, he's not going to jail, and... I have to do something to protect myself. Yeah, that's true. I feel like a lot of people don't realize how much, or like how scary it can be or how much courage it takes to be up there, like testify against someone. Because yeah, yeah, if they're found not guilty, they're coming after you. And she has no like security at all either. Like she has a job that puts her like in the line of danger every day. Mm -hmm. Like she doesn't have any place to go. She doesn't have a job to look like to be safe at. So She's going to have to continue working as a sex worker. And if he gets out. They're not going to protect her. No, you know he targets members of that community. And she probably knows that, like, he's going to, you know. Yeah. That she's going to be the main target. Yeah, she's saving herself. Yeah. Which is understandable. Yeah. Um, Albright's defense attorney, attorney, who is named Brad Lawler, tried to convince the jury that the case against Albright was just circumstantial, like, the whole thing that they were claiming was based on just flimsy evidence. And he actually claimed that the killer was Axton Schindler, not oh, Charles Albright. He did just seem a little suspicious yeah. because he denied everything. Right. So and that's kind of like, like what he claimed. And then he actually did, Axton Schindler did like skip the whole trial. Like I think he was supposed to come and he just like skipped town mm-hmm. like the week of. So, it, I mean, it was, he was doing what a defense attorney was supposed to, is supposed to do. Like, Claiming it was somebody else, trying to like yeah. convince them of doubt. But the um, prosecution brought sex workers to the stand to testify, and not one sex worker was like able to recognize Axton. Like he had never met with any of them in the community, and there was absolutely no no evidence that tied him to any of the crime scenes. So like no physical evidence. Yeah. N- nobody had ever seen him go to any of these sex workers. Nothing. So did he know this whole time that it was Charles? Or no? They don't think so. Because it's really weird or, like, coincidental that he saved her and he happened to be living in one of his rental properties. Yeah. It's just so odd. They don't don't think so um, because they interrogated him and they didn't find any evidence that he had any idea of going on, of, like, what was going on. All that they thought was that, like, he just happened to live as one of Charles' tenants. Mm -hmm. And he knew Veronica. Um, and they don't even know if, like, Veronica's whole story was true. Like, mm, okay. her running away. Um, they said that, you know, she might have gone to his house afterwards, like, after she had been attacked. But they don't know ever know if, like, he had, well, he had seen the whole thing going on or, or okay. something like that. Yeah. Because they, were, they weren't able to find any evidence that, like, he had any idea of what was happening. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Um... Charles actually never testified, so he refused to take the stand, and he continued to claim himself as not guilty. On December 19th, 1991, the jury returned with a guilty verdict on one count of murder against Shirley Williams and a life sentence. So the evidence of Charles was not enough to place him at the scenes of Mary and Susan's deaths. Um, I think the only thing that was able to place him at the scene of Shirley's death was, like, the yellow raincoat being found in the field. Um, Mm. So, like, they were able to 
kind of figure out that he was at the last place she was seen or in the like with the last thing that she had been wearing but with mary or susan they weren't able to prove anything it's like come on you know it's him because of right. the whole eye yeah. thing that yeah. he's doing but they just know. is that not enough <laughs> i think not because it has to be like without a shadow of a doubt yeah yeah like to be accused, you just have to have like enough evidence to like look guilty, but like to be convicted, you have to be proved like beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was you. Yeah. And you could claim that oh, he looked at these two like he was trying to be a copycat and with Shirley like mm-hmm. he wasn't as That's neat true. and like so that placed him apart and Shirley was different than the other two people because she was found in a different place and she was black. So, mm-hmm. like, you, I'm sure his defense team claimed, like, all of these things, like, you know, placed that apart. Yeah. Um, so, Charles was placed in the Amarillo prison and he spent the rest of his life there. Um, on August 22nd, 2020, so just like two years ago, he what? passed away. He, and he has never admitted, he never admitted to any of his crimes. Wow. Yeah. And he just never talked about them? Not in prison. Like, I mean, by all accounts in prison, he didn't really seem, like, regretful of mm. anything that he had done. Um, his defense attorney did say that one time he went to go visit Charles with his wife after he had been placed in prison, and Charles told his wife, wow, you have beautiful eyes. <laughs> Isn't that creepy? I would have just walked out. That yeah. That is so creepy. Yeah. But he never admitted to anything. He, like, to the very end, he claimed, like, he was totally innocent and he had nothing to do with it. He didn't know them. And how old was he when he passed away? Um, he was know. born in 1933 and yeah, he passed away in, ni- in 2020. So, that's pretty old. 87. Yeah. And he was convicted in nineteen ninety one. Ninety one. Mm-hmm. So he did serve like about 30, thirty years. years. Yeah. 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 But Well, um, I'm glad he at least got the time for right. one of the murders and it was life. So mm-hmm. even if they did add on the other ones, it would have been like the same right. time. But yeah, it is unfortunate that they can't say it as like he was it's just like a matter of closure i feel like for their families that is really hard to come to terms with for them because yeah they probably also know or think it was him Mm -hmm. it's just a matter of like putting it on the documents and everything right like getting justice for their daughters right yeah so that, that was is, depressing. I know. Maybe I'll try and do something like a little bit lighter More next lighter. time. Yeah. Because I feel like we've had a couple in a row that are like yeah. really dark. Like we did Albert Fish before yeah. this. Yeah. So maybe I'll try and find something a little bit, I don't know. Yeah, me too. Oh. If, there, if such case exists. Yeah. I've been wanting to do like Salem Witch Trials. Like oh, do something yeah. on that. So that could be, be cool. Interesting. Because mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with that whole thing. I think that's so cool. And so is Itzel. Itzel's like, can you do an episode on Salem Witch Trials? So. Wait. 
Can you say it again? I think the Salem witch trials. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, for a second, I thought you didn't say witch, and then I was just making it up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would be interesting. But, yeah. So? No, no one better tell me I have nice eyes. I know. All I'm... I can think about is Charles Albright. I know. Isn't that creepy? <laughs> I'd be so freaked creepy. out. I'd be freaked out. So be careful. Yeah. Be careful out there. Let nobody tell you have nice eyes. No. Because they might take them from you. There's like Jeepers Creepers up in here. Yeah.